Looking to step up your Mother's Day flowers? The Home Depot has an idea. Let Mom's Green Thumb do some digging with colorful flowers, pots, and premium soils to bring out the most in her patios, walkways, and gardens. Right now, get Vigoro Potting Soil just $8.97 for strong, healthy, vibrant plants, indoors and outside. Shop our wide selection online and pick up your order in-store and give Mom the gift of a beautiful garden. Get Vigoro Potting Soil just $8.97 at the Home Depot. How doers get more done. See homedepot.com slash delivery for details. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. This episode is brought to you by Progressive. Most of you aren't just listening right now. You're multitasking. But what if you could also be saving money by switching to Progressive? Drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average, and auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. So multitask right now. Get your quote now at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates national average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. Simsisms. Militaristic. In football, there's that militarist, you know, militaristic uh, respect factor, Close. right? Keep trying. Have, Keep trying. Well, so I'll, I'll get it there get eventually. There. I'm not worried about it. But the big point <laughs> that I'm trying to get to. Simsisms. I'm not worried about it should be the subtitle of the Simsisms book. Clearly you're not. And that makes it no. better. Chris Sims, <laughs> Thank you. Mike Florio. It's a Thursday edition of PFT Live, schedule release day. Chris, are you ready? Are you ready for the sheet to be pulled off of the 256-game schedule? Oh, yeah, I'm ready. Ready for the 256-game schedule. Ready to watch everybody break it down and have every team on the verge of the playoffs where it doesn't match up wins and losses throughout the year. I always get a kick out of that. But I am excited for it in all seriousness. I mean, yeah, we will again, have, it, we will have we will, we'll have analysts all night long telling us right. who definitely will win games to be played in late December. I must right. have that information. <laughs> I always get a kick out of that. But nonetheless, it is something to look forward to. It is an event and it gives us a little bit more uh, peace of mind or whatever else that, hey, you know, we're, we're on the right track to maybe having some football this season. So I, I am pumped about that. And, you know, me, Mike, with the schedule release. You're right. I mean, you made the point there. I don't give a damn what the schedule says in December. I mean, it's nice, but the real thing I'm going to look at is the start of the season. I know we talked about that last year. That's huge for some of these teams. Just what's your early season schedule? Can you get off to a good start and get the train rolling to gain some momentum and, you know, almost trick yourself into believing we're a really good football team? Schedule begets more, or excuse me, confidence begets more confidence. And if you get those wins early, if you can get some easy games and get to four and one, five and two, start believing, start buying in, especially with a new coaching staff, that's the way to suddenly find yourself 
feeling good about your prospects for the postseason. And I have developed a bit of a complex about the word schedule. I have to be sensitive to our friends in the UK and in Ireland who are enjoying the program on Sky Sports. I did a segment earlier this week with Richard Graves of Sky Sports News, and I was reminded through the natural course of the discussion that they say schedule. And schedule. so every time, every time I say or hear schedule now, I feel like I'm saying it wrong. So I don't well, know. Should we just give in and say schedule? Well, there's a lot of things we say wrong. I mean, yes, I know. Technically, we speak English, but we have totally butchered the language here in America to where I'm sure our friends on Sky Sports sometimes are going, what the hell are they even talking about or saying? I like schedule. I think I can get used to that. It rolls off the tongue. You know, me being such a good linguist and English language vocab guy, it's, add more on my plate. That's what I need. Moving right along, we uh, we... <laughs> We will be breaking down the schedule every which way we possibly can tomorrow at this time. Chris won't be with us because he still only works four days a week. But there is some news as the NFL moves toward releasing this schedule. We're not mocking our friends. We like it. I like it. I prefer schedule. I like the sound of it. I like saying it. I don't like saying schedule anymore. Schedule it now is. Anyway, before we can get to that, the league is making plans for reopening the team's facilities. And it's a little confusing, to say the least. The NFL sent out a memo yesterday to all club executives and team presidents making sure that they understand what is expected of them as we move toward the possibility of phasing back in the various team facilities. Phase one is upon us. We just don't know when phase one will actually commence. By May 15, that's next Friday, teams have to be in position to implement phase one, even though phase one won't necessarily be implemented on May 15. That's where it gets confusing. To prepare for phase one, where you're going to be allowed to have roughly half of your workforce or up to 75 non-player employees present on any given day, you have to obtain consent from state and local government officials. There needs to be an infection response team, an infection control officer. These are folks who are going to be responsible for making sure that anyone who is sick, they do contract uh, contact tracing, disinfecting of any areas of the facility where the person who turns out to be positive may have been, making sure there's someone that, that anyone who feels sick can go to. That's what the infection control officer will do. So all of these plans have to be put in place, Chris. And where I got very confused, the idea that in phase one, before you can open, you have to have consent from state and local government officials. It made me think, well, wait a minute. The NFL is breaking from the rule that's been in place for seven weeks now that if even one facility can't open, no one can open. My understanding is, and the league has clarified, that that's still the case that if even one facility can't open, no one's opening. So I look at this, I say, what the hell are they doing? Are they confident that every team is going to be allowed to open its facility in every state where the NFL does business at some point in the next two weeks? That's big news if it's true. Otherwise, everyone's wasting their time because if only one team can't open, none of them will open, Chris. Well, I, I think there must be something there to, to them thinking that it's around the corner to where they could get all the facilities open for all 32 teams in all the different states. You know, so I think that's encouraging. Uh, also, you know, again, you know, we've had this conversation many a times. These are 
32 of the most powerful people in our country. I mean, they're in that conversation. I, I think they probably know things that we don't know anyways to begin with. And, you know, secondly, nonetheless, whether it's open in two weeks and they can do that on May 15th or not, uh, to me, it, the, the, I don't care. The, the good thing is, is I'm very encouraged by the memo itself. I mean, the memo itself is well thought out. You can tell the NFL has really put time and effort into this to come up with a game plan and show leadership to the rest of the, the workforce, whether it be the NFLPA or front office people, coaches, GMs, whatever it may be, to go, no, we're going to have protocol and guidelines here, and we do have something in place to hopefully make this season work and you know make it work to where people don't have to feel like they're compromising their health and, and make them feel at least as safe as possible in this strange time. And Chris, beyond that, other industries, small businesses that are going to be reopening, they could just take that memo and I should post the whole damn thing as a public service, right? Just it, take it that, that memo and say, we're going to do these things for our business. Well, yes, you know, Mike, I mean, yeah. I mean, I, the, the thing I got excited about is I, I really got excited about, whoa, like look at the the leadership here, this is great. This could be given out to the whole country right now to just say, hey, these are little guidelines. If you want to open your small business or restaurants or whatever it may be, these are the things that we're going to have to start kind of, uh, you know, messing around with in our brain to figure out the right formula to make all this work. And, and still, state and local governments are going to have final say. And you touched on the reality that, these teams are owned by people who are very rich, very powerful, very knowledgeable. And there will be, I believe, some complicated political negotiations as it relates to getting the permissions necessary. And there will be a delicate PR situation here as well, Chris, because if you do have states and communities that that aren't allowing business to operate. And I know the trend right now is to open things up again, and I'm not going to go down that political rabbit hole as to whether or not it makes sense to do it. But if you do have locations that aren't yet to that point, but the NFL wants all of its team's facilities to be open, you, you do run the risk of a PR problem where the NFL facility is the only business in town that has the license to open its doors when it's really not an essential service. Obviously, pharmacies, grocery stores have been operating throughout this pandemic but there are plenty of other businesses that would love to operate, and the NFL isn't essential by any means. That's where it can become a little delicate, and I think that this political negotiation is at some point going to butt up against the PR reality of how's it going to look if you can't open up non-essential businesses in a given state, but the NFL teams that play there get a free pass from the governor. Well, yeah, that'll be that. That's a dicey situation, you know. That is now, you know. Also, I think you know a lot of football teams might be able to claim that they do a lot of good for the state as far as employing employment, taxes, whatever it may be, that contribute to the state's overall funds. Uh, to where that can be an argument, but you're right; it's not going to be perfect. There's going to be people that look at it and go, you know, this is unfair. We're treating a a, a very you know high end commodity. Uh, like they're special, like they're more, they're more important than the rest of us. So, yes, I get that. But if, if we do and we're starting to see states, you know, loosen up the guidelines little by little. You know, the other thing that's awesome about this, Mike, is, you know, again, the NFL has laid down the groundwork to show the states a little bit to go, hey, 
we'll, we'll be the first case experiment to say, okay, we're not the essential working program, but we have guidelines in this memo, which is very impressive, you know, as far as what, what the, the workers should do in the facility, how far they should stay away from each other on a given day, and how many people are around, allowed in a certain room in the facility altogether to, uh, to begin with. So I, when you see those little things, too, I think the NFL and their brass will be able to play, hey, listen, we'll, we'll, we'll be the, the guinea pig here. And you could see how we do things here, and hopefully it can set off a chain of events to where all businesses can kind of follow our lead and follow our model. And the key over the long haul is going to be testing, the availability of testing, quick and easy. And there continues to be a belief belief that by the time we get to August, that testing will be far, far more prevalent than it is today. So this is just a way to kind of get things going while we're waiting for the testing to be much more easily available. Back to the political reality of this the negotiations that will happen in any political negotiation or in any negotiation whatsoever it's important to have leverage and and this is a point that i want to revisit just very briefly we were spitballing yesterday about the possibility that the schedule see i'm already trying to make it stick will have some clues that may show that if for example california won't let the chargers the rams and the 49ers play in their stadiums or open their stadiums to fans, they could relocate those teams to other NFL stadiums. And then we would see by the configuration of the games, oh, look, the Chargers and the Cardinals never are at home on the same weekend. Maybe they're thinking about putting the L.A. Chargers in Arizona for the year if they need to do it. And our good friend Young MC texted me a thought on this, and this is where it gets into the political realities of the situation. Having the schedule set up that way, Chris, gives the NFL leverage in the event that they do get into a situation where they're working through the political realities with Gavin Newsom, the governor of California. And if they don't like what Newsom is saying, the NFL can say, fine, we'll take the Chargers to Arizona, we'll take the Rams to Las Vegas, and we'll take the 49ers to Colorado, and we won't play any games in your state this year. That's part of the... And, and look, I understand far bigger issues are going on, but this is to understand how the rabbit hole is going to work for the NFL and how deep it goes. It's part of what you have to have in place in order to get what you want. And they're going to be dealing with governors in 22 different states trying to get what they want. And what they want is the ability to play those games. So you have to have some of these plans baked into your own planning. And by virtue of how detailed this memo is, it makes me think there probably is a lot more going on beneath the surface that we don't know about and that we may never know about that's aimed at helping the NFL get to where it wants to be, and that is playing all 256 games. Yeah, well, I know you and I both have talked to people in the know, right, in the know, that that led us to believe a few weeks ago that the NFL had plenty of contingency plans and that they were, you know, working – you know, around the clock to figure out how to make a season work. And, 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 and if it doesn't work one way, come up with a plan B or whatever it may be. Now, I don't think we're going to see that type of stuff on the schedule tonight, right? I mean, you're not expecting like to see any of that tonight. We're going to have a normal schedule release tonight, but there might be some differences as far as how they do it, but you're not, you're not expecting to see anything out of the normal as far as the, oh, the initial schedule oh, oh. release. You are? Oh, I definitely am. Oh, I definitely am. I, and there's already been multiple different reports, and I've been hearing this for weeks now, that all of the interconference games are going to be in the first four weeks of the season. So if you have to wipe them out, you have 12 games left. 
that are all played in the same conference, which gives it a greater sense of fairness if you're competing against teams from your same conference to determine who makes it to the postseason. You can just cut those four games off and maybe even tack them back on to the end of the schedule if you want to. But, you know, that that's out. So I think there will be clues, Chris, that are obvious. And then there will be clues that are potentially non-obvious. And one of the reasons I'm putting this out there is I want somebody else to, to put in the, the elbow grease. And I, 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 the emails and the DMs will be open for They're anybody who out. spots some subtlety in the, right. in the schedule so we can say, hey, you know what? There is something here. Look, the, the Chargers and the Cardinals never do play at home the same weekend. Maybe one of the contingency plans is taking the Chargers to Arizona for this year's games. That'll be interesting to see. That, that really will be. Uh, and that'll be something I'm looking for now that you kind of put it on my radar. And, you know, you talked about the interconference games. That makes sense. That's something I thought about, you know, that – that certainly I could see them grouping that together. Or, you know, are, are we going to have certain weekends of just like it's just division games? It's division rivalry weekend, right? I think you're going to see weekends of that too, where it's going to be two teams from the AFC East play two teams from the AFC East and so on and so on right down the line just to make sure we're not like, like you said, we miss a week or something's got to get cut out or whatever it may be. And teams have played an uneven division or interconference games to where then it affects tiebreakers and things like that. The NFL is going to have to be careful of that. So that, that is something I'm expecting to see on the schedule tonight too. But here's the other thing to keep in mind. If the NFL gets to the point where weeks are canceled and not made up, and let's say there's 12 games, let's say there's 10 games, right? In 1982, the strike-shortened season, where nine games were played, what happened? The lines of the divisions went away, and they took eight teams from each conference. I mean, in the first right. year – that we are officially going to have seven playoff teams per conference, there is a chance that the NFL will lose enough games this year. And again, I'm not saying it will happen, but we just have to put this on the radar screen of possibilities. There's a chance that the NFL will have few enough games played where it says we're going back to 1982. We're just going to do an eight-team per conference tournament based upon seeding without regard to what division you're in, which is exactly what they did back in that strike-shortened season where Washington won the Super Bowl. And and as we said yesterday, no one ever has attached an asterisk to it, even though the world got turned upside down, at least for the NFL that year. One last point before we break as it relates to messages from the league office to the teams. And we saw this as it related to the draft. Remember when the NFL said we're going forward with the draft and it serves no purpose for anyone to question it. If you do, you're going to be in trouble. The NFL has said something like that as it relates to the plans for the 2020 season. Basically, the message is don't speculate. Don't talk. Don't say anything about what you think could happen. We are planning to go forward. And any deviation of that comes from us, not from you. Any discussion about what's going to happen comes from us, not from you. And the NFL has already managed to avoid speculating on anything, Chris. No hypotheticals, no what-ifs. This is what we plan to do, and if and when our plans change, we will tell you that fact. Yeah, well, that, that, it's, it's the right thing to say. You're right. I mean, speculation's only going to make things more confusing and harder for the NFL and just create more issues. So let idiots like us speculate people that work for the NFL, keep it on the straight and narrow. I like where we're going. I'm excited. And you know what I'm really also impressed with? That picture with Roger Goodell there. Look at, he's got his top button button. Look at that guy there. Top button swag. Maybe he is my evil twin after all. Can, can we, can we put that back up? Cause I, I think that, I think that's an altered photo in some way. I don't, 
I don't think I've ever seen Roger Goodell with the top button swag. Was that altered or not altered? Was it altered? <laughs> Kristen's talking to me. It, it pro- obviously altered, she said. So I think, I think they, they concocted that in the control room just to make you feel better about buttoning your top button. Well, today right, you have, Roger, you, no you look good, Roger. Buttoned. There's some evidence, man. Button it up. You look and, really good. And, and as we said to him in Santa Clara, you're the evil twin to him. He's not the oh. evil twin to you. We just want to be clear You're on right. that. Yeah, right. we should be very clear. He we is did. certainly. We did. We, I mean, yeah. We, we we see the commissioner. We're talking to the commissioner, and Chris <laughs> makes sure he says, "We've got this photo that we use of me that we say I'm your evil twin." And he's funny. He gets it. He said, "Wait, who's the evil twin? Me or you?" It was funny. <laughs> right, we had a really right. good laugh, and off we went. Yeah. All right, off we go. Yeah. The Bengals declined all trade offers for Joe Burrow. Is he already untouchable, even though he has never taken a snap in the NFL? We'll discuss that next here on Pro Football Talk Live. The Miami Dolphins have acknowledged that they had interest in trading up to get the number one overall pick in the draft, who became LSU quarterback Joe Burrow. The Dolphins loved him. The Dolphins wanted him. The Bengals resisted all overtures from the Miami Dolphins. Duke Tobin, the team's director of player personnel, speaking publicly yesterday, said we weren't really interested in trading the pick anyway. We felt good about sitting there and taking Joe Burrow. That was the most important thing to us, more so than what any team might want. Director of College Scouting Mike Potts said we weren't moving off that pick. I could have told you that a long time ago. Chris Sims, this paints a picture to me that the Bengals have decided that a player who has never taken a snap in an NFL game, who very well could be a bust, we don't know. We just talked about the 2017 first-round picks and how half of those first-round picks didn't have their fifth-year option picked up. It is a crapshoot to a certain extent. But the Bengals have already decided to add Joe Burrow to a very small category of players who are untradeable untradeable under any circumstances if we take them at their word now I think my whole point here is he's not really untradeable even now if he could be traded if someone offered Patrick Mahomes for Joe Burrow you take Patrick Mahomes and you run because he's proven and because he's great Joe Burrow may be proven he may become great for now though can you really put him in a category of players like Patrick Mahomes Russell Wilson Aaron Donald Lamar Jackson, maybe Aaron Rodgers, especially when you factor in the cap hit of guys who would never be traded. You can't say Joe Burrow would never be traded or couldn't be traded. Not yet, can you? No, I no, you cannot. But 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 where it gets interesting and I think becomes a really good conversation is it's the potential of Joe Burrow that puts him in a class to go, you're going to have to blow us out of the water with some type of trade to get this guy. You know, one, Mike, like we've talked about so many times, we talked about it a lot last year with Kyler Murray. You know, you just don't want to be the team that passes up that generational type quarterback. And then, you know, you're sitting there three years from now going, man, we, we missed out on one of the all-time greats. And we thought he was an all-time great. But, man, we sold out for, you know, a few underwhelming picks or a few extra picks. Man, why did we do that? You know, with Burrow, I think the, the biggest thing is, you know, again, like you said, there's it's a crapshoot. I get that. But, man, there's a lot of evidence pointing towards this guy could be an, a special elite type player. So I think there's that, let alone I don't know if we've ever come into a season with a number one draft pick at the quarterback position with just so much 
things positively pointing up in the upward direction. I mean, come on, the year he had, the way he played, the plays he makes, 15-0 and in the SEC, beating the, you know, the kings of college football in Alabama and Clemson, and doing it like in style and fashion, like with major sex appeal, you know, that to me is where, yes, he's become very special and almost a can't-miss prospect that way. And I just think the hype and everything around it makes him, you know, I don't, like you're saying, he's not untradeable, but he's special. Like, like who is the number one pick that's coming to football that's been, to me, this hot of a commodity? You know, maybe Andrew Luck and Peyton Manning. Well, to me, this is the first two in a long, long time. Mike Vick felt that way, and he was tradable. He was traded. The Chargers traded that pick to the Falcons, right? I guess the point is the idea that, that they are saying we weren't going to trade that pick no matter what, it's just one of those things that bugs me because I know it's BS. Of course you would have traded the pick if offered enough. There's something out there. You know, the Saints offered and ultimately gave up all of their 1999 draft and two picks the next year to move up just a few spots to get Ricky Williams. Mike Ditka decided, I'm getting Ricky Williams, period, no matter what, I'm getting this guy. And and if Stephen Ross was bound and determined to get Joe Burrow and he had three first-round picks this year, plus you can go out two more drafts beyond this year in what you give up. You can give up five first-round picks. You can give up all your second-round picks for the next three years. You can give up all your picks, the full draft for the next three years. At some point, that extra little pick you put on the pile is going to cause the scale to go that way. It has to. Something less than all of the Dolphins draft picks for the next three years, 2020, 2021, 2022, would have gotten the Bengals to say yes. And if not, they don't know what the hell they're doing, Chris. Well, maybe yes, that's the I story. Know. Maybe they don't know what, maybe it's evidence that they don't know what they're doing. That was one of the concerns. Sorry, Bengals fans, but that was one of the concerns that I heard in the days preceding the draft that will the Bengals know what's good for them? Will they get an offer that they should accept? And will they know? that they should accept it. And I don't know that it got to that point because we don't know what they were offered. Well, Mike, first off, I think you're being a little too literal. Yeah. I mean, yes. Like if they asked to go five first round picks, I think a lot of the people we talked about on this list that are untradeable might be tradable other than Patrick Mahomes. If it came down to like five first round, there's only four people on the list. (laughs) Well, yeah. So you're, you're but Aaron Donald and Deshaun Watson and Russell Wilson, they might become tradable. If Lamar, it's five Jackson? First round picks. Lamar Jackson? You know, you think the Ravens maybe would not trade Lamar right Jackson? Now. Probably not. Probably not because they built the whole team around his skill set on the offensive side of the ball. So you're right. That would be a tough one to pull off because there's just not that many Lamar Jacksons out there to run that offense. But, you know, I think the point that we're hearing with the Bengals and anything else is that they were very sold on the prospect. And yes, you're probably right. If there was some sort of New Orleans Saints type trade or something like that, I, I don't think they're that stupid. I think they would have done it. I, I do. Chris, but I think they Chris, also saw a guy that was the special. Ones, I'm calling them out for being literal. I'm calling them out for painting with this broad brush and puffing their chests out. We weren't going to take any trade for Joe. Bull crap. I almost said the word you said last week. They, whew, that was close. Yeah, of course, <laughs> at some point. That's my whole point. Don't give me this routine that you were firm and you were set and there was no way in hell you were going to trade that pick. If somebody had offered you five first-round picks, you would have taken it. If Andy Reid had decided that Joe Burrow is going to be better than Patrick Mahomes within the next year or two and offered Patrick Mahomes, you bet your butt 
that the Bengals would have taken Patrick Mahomes. So that's my point. Don't don't give me this tough guy, football guy. We weren't trading him stuff. It just some things like that bother me. Am I wrong yeah. to be bothered by no, that? No. Maybe I am. I I get it. I I get I get what you're saying. You're right. They, they came out with a strong strong comment and maybe didn't need to go quite over the top that way to to prove their point to say that basically we were really sold on this guy. We've been blown out of the water by what we saw in the pre-draft process. And we were blown out of the water by what we saw on film and how he competed and played against the best teams in college football. The tougher the situation, the better the teams, the better Joe Burrow played. And, you know, yeah, to, to me, this is, this is a quarterback coming into the league, like I said, with about the, the cleanest slate, highest marks I've seen. Like, there was no discrepancies this year. We've had other drafts, right? You know, Kyler Murray, No. But even with the draft with Mahomes, people, we don't know who's the number one quarterback. Is it Watson? Is it Trubisky? Is it Mahomes? Oh, there's always debate. The last two years, there's been no debate at all. We know who the number one guy is. And Burrow, to me, is coming in with as clean a slate as since, like, like I said, Andrew Luck or, or Peyton Manning to where people just go, oh, this is going to work. It's a slam dunk. He's the number one quarterback on the board. And for now, we don't know what the Dolphins offered the Bengals, and neither team has any incentive to leak it for now, right? Time may cause people who know whether they end up leaving their job with the Bengals or the Dolphins, or if Tua Tonga-Vailoa ends up being great and Joe Burrow ends up stinking, maybe the Dolphins will have an incentive to kind of puff their chest a little bit and say, hey, look, look at what we offered the Bengals and we, you know, thank God they said no. Or if it flips around, if Burrow is great and Tua isn't any good, and then the Bengals can say, hey, we resisted and we rejected this, that, or the other thing from the Dolphins. But uh, one of these days we'll know what the Dolphins offered, but clearly it wasn't enough to get the Bengals to say yes. But I think something out there could have been offered to get them to say yes. That's the whole point. They would have yeah. said yes or should have said yes to something. They just didn't get anything that caused them to do so. All right. When we return, we're going to talk about the AFC East, specifically with Tom Brady gone. Should the Patriots still be the favorite? That's next right here on Pro Football Talk Live. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour, and they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. Walmart Plus members save on meeting up with friends. Save on having them over for dinner with free delivery with no hidden fees or markups. That's groceries plus napkins plus that vegetable chopper to make things a bit easier. Plus, members save on gas to go meet them in their neck of the woods. Plus, when you're ready for the ultimate sign of friendship, start a show together with your included Paramount Plus subscription. Walmart Plus members save on this plus so much more. Start a 30-day free trial at walmartplus.com. Paramount Plus, a central plan only. Separate registration required. See Walmart Plus terms and conditions. 
with a great player like Tom Brady. Um, you know, obviously leaving, it's a big deal. It's headlines. Um, you know, for us, every single game in the NFL is a tough one. And I think any player can attest to that. Um, so we're not going to take anyone more lightly just because, you know, even though, you know, one of the greatest players, if not the greatest player of all time, left the organization, um, we're not going to take him any more lightly. Sam Darnold, a video conference earlier this week. He's in California during the pandemic. Adam Gase, the Jets coach, said last week on the PFTPM podcast, they, they delay their virtual meetings until 11 a.m. Eastern to give Darnold time to sleep, which is something I hadn't thought of, Chris. When you've got guys all over the country, you have to factor in the reality that some of these guys are in a different time zone altogether. But eventually, they'll be in the Eastern time zone in the AFC East. And as of right now, there's a lot of symmetry in the Caesars odds to win the AFC East this year. The Patriots and the Bills are co-favorites at plus 120. And the Dolphins and the Jets are co-long shots at plus 800. And again, that number means plus 120. You bet 100 to win 120 or you bet 100 to win 800 if you take the long shots. Have the Bills really closed the gap on the Patriots to the point where they are co-favorites or have the Bills possibly surpassed the Patriots in your mind? I mean, I, I think that's really the question. I mean, they, they closed the gap last year. You know, I, I think that's what we got to, like, revisit. I don't think there was much of a difference between the Patriots and Buffalo Bills last year other than, you know, an experienced quarterback, a battle-tested football team, and head coach that, you know, had been there and done that. I think that was about the only difference I see between New England and Buffalo. Now the big question is, yeah, did they pass them up? And I think they did pass them up. I do. With the offseason the Bills have, I mean – the Bills killed the offseason once again. And, you know, I'm a, I'm a huge fan of what they do up there. But I think when you take into account, you know, the losses that the Patriots had other than Tom Brady, I mean, you know, Danny Sheldon, Jamie Collins, Kyle Van Noy, there's a number of guys there that they're going to miss that were important to their football team. And then you look at the players the Bills added through the draft, Stephon Diggs in the trade, and some other guys in free agency – I think the Bills, in my opinion, are the leaders in the clubhouse as of right now in the AFCs. There's still a mystique there that needs to be overcome, and so many have been right. watching The Last Dance on ESPN. That that time that you need to bust through the ceiling against a given opponent, like the Bulls against the Pistons, like the Pistons against the Lakers. I mean, there was that time in basketball where, until the Bulls took everything over, you would have that transition where the top dog eventually gets toppled. And it feels like now is the time for the Bills or someone else from that division to topple the Patriots. But, you know, Chris, just like last year when we were getting ready for the playoff game between the Titans and the Patriots, and I said, I'm not going to bet against the Terminator until the Terminator is fully and completely liquefied. And ultimately, the Terminator was liquefied on that Saturday night. The Terminator still runs the AFC East, and I'm not ready to rule out the Terminator until I see it from one of these other three teams. Yeah, well, I hear you. I, I'm certainly not trying to disrespect the New England Patriots right now. I, I'm not counting them out. And you're right. There is something to that mystique, and there is something to hey, just in, in general how that organization's run and how they do things on a daily, weekly basis that always sets themselves up in the best position to win games on a Sunday during the fall. So they're still the masters at that. And, yes, I know Tom Brady's not there, but, you know, New England, they got an eye for quarterbacks and an eye for people who they know want to lead their football team, and I think they see something in Jared Stidham, and they're going to find the right formula. 
I truly do believe that. And I think the big thing, too, is, you know, again, I think what a lot of us, me included sometimes, I forget here, is the Patriots' defense. Yes, they lost a few players, but it's still special. It was the number one defense in football last year. They tried to improve that defense through the draft uh, this offseason, you know, just here recently to where, you know, I still think whether Jared Stidham hits the ground running or, hey, it takes a little bit for him to get his feet underneath them and, and get a feel for the NFL, I think the Patriots will still be highly competitive if that's the case because of that defense and their ability to stop people from scoring and putting up big yards. And, Chris, a point that Peter King and I were discussing yesterday in PFTOT about the schedule for this year, about the uncertainty that will linger over the NFL all season long, about the importance of being flexible and adaptable to any and all changes that may come. There's no organization like the Patriots that can adjust and adapt on the fly. You start moving the cheese around on the Patriots, they're going to go get it. Other teams are going to be like, what in the hell is going on? This isn't fair. Oh, this is wrong. Oh, we don't like this. We don't like that. The Patriots are going to keep their heads down. They're going to keep going. And the more you change, the more determined they're going to be to stay right on pace with where everything is. Yeah, they don't make any excuses. Bill doesn't let that creep into his mind, that type of stuff. It's kind of just like, oh, these are the rules that the NFL set. This is what we have to do, and this is what we're going to do. I mean, that's what the, they're not going to think anything more than that. I mean, that, that's, that's really their special – one of their special abilities is to stay focused that way and not worry about things that they can't control, let alone they are the masters of the sports universe in detail, efficiency, and always trying to improve those things on a yearly basis to make their practices or preparations that much better to where they can squeeze more in into a short period of time because we're detailed and we've tinkered with the schedule for the last 30 years to make it so efficient that we can fit every little thing into the day and leave and feel like, okay, we've got it all accomplished. So yeah, from that standpoint, right? I mean, you're right, Mike. I think the whole AFC East closed the gap a little bit, but I'm certainly like, I think the Patriots are a playoff caliber football team still. I'm, I'm not coming off that ledge. And I do think that this uncertainty really does benefit the Patriots. And I guarantee you that Bill Belichick will have a plan for every eventuality, that he will think ahead of time how everything may play out, how th the season could be shortened or this could happen or no fans here. Or how do we handle a game where we have no fans one week, fans next? He'll have everything buttoned up. He'll have everything ready to go. And if you give him a short a period of time to turn something around, he's going to turn it around with whatever time you give him. He's going to have his team ready. All right, let's take a break. One rookie receiver has vowed to make teams pay for passing on him. We'll hear from him next right here on Pro Football Talk Live. When's the last time you caught a football? I would think catching footballs is tough right now with social distancing and doing anything like that. It's probably the longest period you've ever gone between getting your hands on a ball. Um, see, that's that's one of the things that I had to take in consideration. Uh, you know, I don't have a quarterback that can throw to me every single day. So uh, I had to go and buy myself a jug machine. So I would be able to catch balls and uh, as many balls as I need to. So my man, uh, just doing that and uh, just having to buy that uh, definitely helped me. And um, we was actually on them yesterday. So uh, we'll probably be on them again today. 
That, 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 that's why you're my guy, dude. That's why <laughs> I knew it. I mean, you just, you're all in. I mean, what do we, do we got it like in the backyard just so you can go back yeah, there? The you, backyard. you do? Man, yep. that is amazing. Chris, where would he have it if it wasn't in the backyard? In his living room? Well, I didn't know. You're right. It might have been a stupid question, okay? Just, I thought maybe, you know, he put it in the car and went down to the park or something like that. That's where I, I was know. going at. That's all but right. man, Mike, that should make you, as a, as a Viking fan, that should make you feel excited. I mean, that's what I saw on film. This guy is all in. He grew, you know, grew up in a football family. His two older brothers played at LSU. He was a quarterback growing up. He's just a natural at playing the game, and that's why he was one of my favorite players in the draft. He said after the draft, every single person that picked a receiver instead of me is going to pay. I'm going to show them that I am the better receiver than the pick that they had. And he was the fifth receiver taken. There were four in front of him. Henry Ruggs the third by the Raiders at number 12. Jerry Judy by the Broncos at number 15. C.D. Lamb by the Cowboys at number 17 and Jalen Rieger at number 21, one spot before Justin Jefferson. And, you know, his attitude reminds me of a receiver the Vikings took with the 21st overall pick in 1998 in Randy Moss. He had that same attitude. Now, there was only one receiver taken in front of Moss, not four. So Justin Jefferson has four times the reason to be salty that Moss did. Do you remember... Here's an impromptu trivia question. Who was the receiver drafted before Randy Moss in 1998? Do you know? Oh, mm, man. Give me a hint. Can you tell me a team? He was, in, I know he was involved in two of the most notorious postseason plays in NFL history. Two of them. Oh, In the same playoff run. In the same playoff run. One was a touchdown he scored, and one was a touchdown he almost scored. Wow, Kevin Dyson? Is that who you're talking hey, about? You got it. Yeah, Kevin Dyson. He wow. scored the touchdown on the Music City Miracle, and he's right. the guy who came up just short with the touchdown that would have potentially tied Super Bowl 34. Was that the same play? Oh, it was a year apart. It wasn't. I Right? It was, sorry. It was, no, it was, it was the same playoff. It was the same playoff. It was the same playoff. The same playoff. Was. That's right. Yep. It All was. Right. You're right. I should, that's I should a good have, trivia uh, question. Quit while I was ahead. Um, well, but, but your right. man Jefferson, that's what I like about him, though. You know, it's what I like about a lot of these LSU players that I talked to, you know, throughout the draft process. And I know you did, too. I think we came away enjoying the LSU guys because they kind of wear their hearts on their sleeves. They they kind of, hey, this is how I feel. This is, this is I'm going to say it out of my mouth. And deal with it and you know they enjoy the spotlight and the big moments of college football nfl football so i'm excited about this guy in the nfl it's good to know they're saying it out of their mouth although you know what i watched ace ventura for the first time ever yesterday there are other places you can talk, you can out, of talk out of the other end of, apparently yeah, right, we gotta go uh, on a somewhat serious note brett Favre is embroiled in a controversy involving 1.1 million dollars in allegedly embezzled funds he has spoken out on the situation we'll tell you what he had to say and whether or not he should have said anything at all when pro football talk live continues right after this A Mississippi auditor found earlier this week that Brett Favre received $1.1 million for appearances and other events that he did not actually show up for. That was the finding of the auditor. Favre has committed to paying back the $1.1 million in funding that ultimately came from welfare programs. 
And he issued a statement last night saying this, my agent is often approached by different products and brands for me to appear in one way or another. This request was no different, as, and I did numerous ads for Families First. I have never received monies for obligations I didn't meet. To reiterate Auditor White's statement, I was unaware that the money being dispersed was paid out of funds not intended for that purpose, and because of that, I am refunding the full amount back to the state of Mississippi. I love Mississippi, and I would never knowingly do anything to take away from those that need it most. And here's the thing, Chris, that I found jarring about Favre's statement. He says in his own words that I have never received monies for obligations I didn't meet. Well, the auditor has already found that he received $1.1 million, but didn't do the things he was supposed to do for the $1.1 million. And when this money is all flowing from allegations of misappropriated welfare money, At a minimum, what it does is it cries out for someone to investigate this and figure out exactly what in the hell happened. How did he get paid money? Did he actually perform the services? He's saying he did. The auditor's saying he didn't. This thing has the potential. It already is a huge mess. It has the potential to be an even bigger mess for Favre. And it just made me uncomfortable to see him take this very clear, broad statement that he's never received money for services he didn't provide because the state auditor already has found that he received money for services he never provided. So well, I'm not going to, I'm not going to just a weird situation. Yeah. Well, I'm not going to sit there and definitely like believe the state auditor is he works for the same state that didn't realize that's what I'm saying. Investigate million dollars. I know that's why I'm saying they need to investigate it. You're right. You know, so, Oh, Hey, yeah, I'll believe this guy from the state, but I, you know, I won't believe the other guys from the state that, you know, it doesn't make sense. I think ultimately Brett Favre is going to pay, you know, paying the money back, you know, one, because we all know he's rich and certainly you know, is going to be fine without that $1.1 million. But the big thing is he probably, regardless, doesn't like where the money came from, whether he fulfilled that obligation or not. And I don't think Brett Favre is trying to get over on the state of Mississippi or anything like that. But when it comes to, wow, we paid a guy that's, you know, probably got $100 million in the bank uh, from misappropriated funds that had to do with, I just want to make sure I get this right, the Mississippi Community Education Center and things like that, I think Brett Brett Favre looks at something like that and goes, damn, I mean, I don't even want money from that. That's messed up. That's, you know, he's he's a human being. He's smart. He realizes that that's an important thing for our society and his state and all those things. So I think that's ultimately why he just pay it back. Even if he did do the obligations, he's just not going to like where the money came from and how it looks when it's associated with his name. What apparently happened is there was this pile of public money that just was there and it was ripe for the plucking and ripe for the misappropriating. And there are people who have faced charges as a result of this. Favre faces no charges at this point. But I think that there are important questions that need to be asked about what he knew, when he knew it, how much he knew about where the money came from, his relationships with the people who were involved with those purse strings. I mean, there's a point where, depending upon what he understands as to the broader circumstances, he has to have known that the money was not coming from a place where it should have been coming from. And again, this all needs to be investigated. That's my only point for now. There's enough based on the circumstances that tells me something stinks, and I want I want someone to get to the bottom of it, Chris, and hopefully yeah. someone will. Well, I think they will, and I don't expect it to be Brett Favre in any shape, way, or form of anything bad here. I don't. You know, again, I don't think it's like Brett Favre and his agent's duty to go, Oh, hey, state of Mississippi, you want me to do something? You're going to pay me? You know, exactly where, what fund is that money coming from? Can you get back to me with that? 
you know, that's a little tough too. So I think they'll figure it out and we'll be back at PFT right after this. <laughs> Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. 